Oil production in this country has nothing to do with Biden administration policy, that uh, they're producing, the industry is producing oil at record levels. There are 9,000 uh, drilling permits that are uh, have been approved and are not being used, so you should ask the oil companies. Well, it's their fault, uh, right? Fox Business uh, did ask uh, oil and gas industrialists, and here's uh, an example or two of what they had to say in response to Psaki. Uh, for example, American Petroleum Institute President and CEO Mike Summers. This represents a fundamental misunderstanding as to how this process works. Once you lease land, uh, there's a whole process that you have to go through. First, you have to actually discover whether actually there is oil and gas in that land. Second of all, you have to get a permit to actually develop that land. Right now, we actually are developing more leases than we have in two decades. So the White House certainly doesn't have their facts straight on this. What they should be focused on is how we develop more of our resources here in the United States rather than depending on foreign countries for American oil, oil and natural gas. Uh, another uh, gentleman in the industry who was not identified by Fox Business had this to say. Yeah, it's not truthful, right? And it's not truthful at all. From day one, Day one, this administration has been hell-bent with their anti-American energy holy war to shut down the production of American energy. She knows that, right? It's delaying leases. Look, you can get a lease and then they delay the uh, permits for you to uh, be able to do seismic and do work on it. In Alaska, they delay the ability to get a permit for an ice road, which is how we go and do exploration on these leases. They've shut that down. They've tried to kill pipelines. Day one, you saw Biden said he wasn't going to produce on energy on, on Anwar, even though it's in the law that he has to do it. Says shall. And then you guys got, got you have people like John Kerry and Gina McCarthy going around to the American financial community saying don't invest in American energy. So day one, they have been focused on killing the production of American energy. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by James Perry. He is uh, of Arbor Research. Jim, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the invite. Well, it's uh, good times for commodities traders, if nothing else. Yeah, unless you're short. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, you got. but they like the, they like the volatility. They're getting uh, all kinds of volatility, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Uh, nickel is a is a key uh, material that the metal that's uh, mined in Russia. It was up two hundred and fifty percent yesterday, uh, and it was margin calls at, at hundred thousand uh, dollars a clip. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really dangerous out there. And, and where do you see uh, you know energy prices, particularly oil? Uh, that's uh, I don't know trending towards uh, one bitcoin uh, or something. Uh, where do you see that going? Well, there's a big dislocation out there, and I, I've never been a real economist on the oil market, but uh, I, I think that you know most of the problems are um, in the speculative uh, side of the futures market. I think there's a lot of people that have really, really made a lot of money um, speculating on oil, and I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say how far it can go. I thought it was expensive at 90. Um, Russia exports 5 million barrels a day. Um, we, as a company, as a country, energy is only sort of 5% of private consumption. So it really shouldn't 
speed the crisis that it sounds like on the news. Um, I think the biggest problem is it's really emotional and there's an absurd amount of untruthful rhetoric coming out of Washington with respect to energy independence. I find it uh, absurd. Uh, here's a phrase that you never hear from a leftist. I was uh, speaking to a friend of mine who's a grain trader. Um, that's a phrase you'll never hear because uh, I don't know of any that actually talked to anybody that's actual, that, that, that is uh, ac- an actual practitioner in the supply and demand world. But uh, my, uh, my grain trading buddy said, if Ukraine doesn't plant their corn crop, which should start in about a month, corn will likely go from $6 a bushel today to $10 a bushel. This translates into a 50 to 100% increase in meat from today's pricing. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Ukraine's the breadbasket of Eurasia. I mean, it's 25% of wheat production in the world. It's it's a lot. And um, I think I think a lot of people need it. And I think that Putin and Chairman Xi in, in China have been talking about this. China needs a lot of food. They're having a bad wheat crop over there. So part of this whole cozying up between Russia and China is really about supplying the, the commodity needs for, for China. Um, and they're the big buyer out there of everything. So they control the price right now. Um, I, I wanted to also uh, get to this uh, missive you put out this week that um, and have you explain it because uh, you you know placed a lot of importance on it. And I won't go into you know the charts and graphs. You can do that. But um, the bottom line is you're suggesting that the uh, the liquidity in the of the United States dollar is collapsing, and uh, this despite all of the asset purchases by the Fed, and uh, you see this as a as an enormous problem that is looming. Explain. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think if you if you look at the big picture here, there's a global shortage of dollars, and there is a global shortage of liquidity, and what that means very shortly, briefly, is that, you know, all of these companies in the last kind of five to 10 years, and most recently, the last two or three, who have issued debt, they can't issue it in local currencies. You can't issue it in Brazil and Argentinian local currencies or Eastern European or even most Asian. So they do it in dollars. And the trouble is that once economies slow down and their exports slow down, their dollar cash flows go to, you know, zero. And their ability to service their debt goes to zero as well. So the idea that you get a credit crunch that's based on um, missed payments and margin calls because you can't pay your debt back, that's the biggest problem. And this is why if you look at what's happened in the last sort of, you know, 13 days since uh, Mr. Putin started his ridiculous adventure, all the European bank stocks are down 50%, right? And um, they are the ones that uh, have companies who do business with Russia who are not going to get paid. And if some of the smaller banks in Austria and Poland and Romania have loans out to Russia, um, they also have loans that come from the bigger banks like Deutsche Bank and, and BNP. And if, if, if they can't get paid, then BNP doesn't get paid. So all of a sudden you've got balance sheets that are under severe pressure from liquidity. So, this whole idea that the ECB is going to hike rates, and frankly, I, I know this is kind of a minority opinion, but, you know, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan all say, and many people say, that the Fed is going to tighten four times or seven times this year. And uh, I, 
the market is telling you in the last four days that the odds of, of, of no hike and even more liquidity and stimulus are rising by the day. I mean, gold is up over $2,000 an ounce right now. On the news last night that the European Union is going to issue a huge amount of bonds to fund oil and gas purchases and defense spending. So the euro is up today and gold is up. And the Fed meets on the 16th, as you know. And Powell has said he he got the job. He actually hasn't been officially reappointed. So he's towing the line of the administration. And the administration wants inflation down because they want to do better in the November elections. So he's committed to these rates. But, you know, can he do it when we're going into a recession? I don't know. Oh, going into a recession. Oh, that's an interesting statement. So so the, but, but, but let me backtrack a second. So this isn't like you're saying this isn't the classic liquidity trap where you have uh, low interest rates and high savings rates. This is something different because you're suggesting um, this uh, this balance sheet problem. There are not enough dollars for debtors to pay their bills. Right. This is a global shortage of dollars. And so and, and so going into recession um, elaborate on that. That's where you think we're headed right now, particularly if uh, Powell tightens, if Powell uh, increases interest rates? Right. Well, uh, the Atlanta Fed does a GDP forecast, which is kind of a real-time thing, so it jumps around a little bit. It's called GDP Now. It's a model. And that GDP model that the Atlanta Fed does has growth in Q1 at negative, right, less than zero. And that's been that way for even before the invasion. So the economy is slowing. And um, the biggest problem is that wages aren't keeping up with the prices of goods that people need to buy. So real disposable incomes are, are, are falling. They're lower now than they were before the pandemic started two years ago. So so is is Powell then in God's little acre there between the rock and the hard place uh, with respect to interest rates? If he, if he doesn't raise, then inflation continues to increase if he does then you have this uh, then he exacerbates this liquidity problem right the fed is in a pickle um they've been committed to getting inflation down that's what the general population and the government wants and needs because it makes the papers every day and people feel it at the grocery store every day uh but at the same time you know if you increase overnight funding rates to Wall Street, they're going to unwind positions in these markets, stocks, bonds, commodities. And um, the, Fed has, the Fed has two mandates, right? Full employment and, and stable prices, right? So they failed on both of those things, not by design, but by, by the pandemic. Uh, but there's always been a third mandate that the Fed has, and that's market stability. And that's the one that matters now. You know, employment's going to do what it's going to do over the next couple of years, and inflation's going to probably pick up or peak somewhere around here in the next month or two or three. And every single forecaster that I read on Wall Street has inflation at half the level it is today in 18 months. So the market, and the market trades that way too, the bond market trades that way. Ten-year yields are, are lower than they were at the highs in 2021, right? So they, they traded at 100 or 166 yesterday, right? Down from 220 uh, two weeks ago. So the bond market's rallying. Inflation-linked bonds are trading poorly. The inflation expected in 10 years 
is going to be something like two and a half percent, not eight and a half percent. And that's just by the numbers. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think disposable income is falling. Consumer balance sheets are in trouble. And the way to solve high prices, if it's a supply issue, which I think it is, is raise prices high enough where demand collapses. And that's that's what's happening. And uh, this week, uh, Biden is expected to issue his first EO on crypto, and uh, reports are it's going to um, essentially try to establish sort of the rules of the game and, uh, and, and promulgate rules consistent with the rules of the game that our European friends are, are undertaking, but also the suggestion that there'll be an exploration of a central uh, digital currency for the central bank. Um, what, if any, impact does this move by the federal government to uh, sort of, you know, establish these rules of the game for crypto? What impact is that going to have? Right. It's interesting. I mean, frankly, I think I think the government, that's the administration and, and the Fed and the financial system, they're playing defense here, right? I mean, they realize that People want to get their money out of the financial system because they don't trust it. It's pretty simple. And they do have to establish some rules. But the biggest risk that they see, the government sees right now, is that if there's a global shortage of dollars and all of these companies out there who who have borrowed in dollars decide not to pay us back, they'd rather pay back their, their trade partners in crypto, then, you know, the need for a central clearing operation at the Fed becomes, you know, negligible. You don't need it. You don't need a central clearing bank. And gold is up because people don't want their money in the financial system. They're worried that they're gonna, there's going to be a, a liquidity squeeze. And, and there so, could be. And so so if the, the, if the federal government creates its own digital currency, the idea is, well, that digital currency is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government and these other currencies are not. And so there'll be a flight to that federal digital currency. Boy, I don't know. I, I mean, it seems to me that it doesn't really solve any problems because you still got a clearing, a central clearing system. Right. And that's the reason crypto is here is because people don't need to have somebody who's the administrator of your loan. Right. You can do it direct. Mm-hmm. And the Bitcoin, as you and I have talked about before, it really is it, it's designed because of blockchain technology, right? It's not a currency. It's not gold. It's a payment system. It's a peer-to-peer payment system. It's software, right? And that software and the blockchain uh, are, are growing uh, at, at exponential rates right now because it's cheaper and it's simpler and it's effective. And if you can get some of the bugs out of it, it's going to work. So I'm... I'm not sure what Bitcoin should trade at. I don't know what the value of it is, but I do know that, you know, if it came out 10 years ago at five bucks and it was supposed to be one, that was five times overvalued. And five years later, it was supposed to be at 50 bucks and it was trading at 500. Then it's, you know, 10 times overvalued. And now at 38, you know, is it worth 38? I don't know. Maybe it's worth three, but I do know that 10 years ago, it was a fraction of three, right? So I don't know what it's worth. I just know that the blockchain peer-to-peer business transaction capabilities on the planet are growing at two and three and four and five hundred percent a year, and it's going to be here. And the government and the Fed and any central bank can't do anything about it. 
He is Jim Perry. He's uh, Arbor Research. James, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate your insights. My pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Have you ever wondered what a groundhog sounds like? We see him crawl out of that hole year after year, but we've never heard his voice. Ah, there it is. Well, he said six more weeks of winter, and that's a lot.